Let us pray. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, illumine the sacred page, we pray, that our minds may be open to receive your word, our hearts taught to love it, and our wills strengthened to obey it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from Romans 11, 1, 2a, and 29 through 32. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel? For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy, because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. The word of the Lord. Our Old Testament lesson this morning continues with the saga of Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph's work to store grain up down in Egypt has been successful, and the world is beginning to come to Egypt uh, to satisfy the hunger of the world. And among those uh, immigrants and refugees are Joseph's brothers. So we pick up with the story in the 45th chapter of Genesis, and we will read verses 1 through 15. Listen now for the word of the Lord to the church. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here. But God, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. 
Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty." And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, we looked at the beginning of the Joseph saga from the underside, from the perspective of the outcast, the abused, and the marginalized, And today we turn to the end of the Joseph saga, and we will do our best to flip our view to the opposite angle. In other words, we will let our imaginations take wing and soar a bit with the eagles in the hope that we might catch a glimpse of what happened to Joseph from the perspective of heavenly providence. One of the reasons that the Joseph story speaks to us so powerfully is that Joseph experiences so many of the highs and lows of the human experience. I don't have time to relate the whole story to you, but I expect that you remember some of the highlights. Joseph finding favor in Potiphar's house because of his abilities. Joseph finding big trouble in Potiphar's house because of Potiphar's wife. Joseph being thrown in jail on a falsified charge, but getting noticed in jail because he could interpret dreams. And finally, Joseph getting fast-tracked to power and prosperity as the famine czar in Pharaoh's court, the man who controlled the grain storehouses and literally held the fate of millions of people in the palm of his hand. It is an extraordinary story but it is also ordinary in that it is readily accessible to almost every person because every person can easily imagine how it must have felt. Joseph experiences conflict in his family, the feeling of being favored and chosen, but also the heartache of being disfavored and rejected. And we can relate to that. Joseph gets some really good breaks and some really bad breaks, and we can relate to that. As Jim McKay used to say about the wide world of sports, Joseph knew both the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, and any ordinary person can relate to that. We can also relate to his brothers the ones who were hurt by their father's favoritism for Joseph, 
who resented the tattletale kid who always got them into trouble, who were triggered by his pompous dreams and his disrespectful delusions of grandeur. If we have ever felt wronged or dissed or discredited or insulted, then we can relate to the grudge that Joseph's brothers must have held, a grudge that led to a lust for revenge. And that, I would say, is how we know that the main purpose of this story is to try and lift us to a new and higher perspective. At the ground level, from the underside, the Joseph story is about grudges, how they are born, how they can take root and grow and evolve and fester until they finally explode into violence and revenge and regret and tragedy. If the fate of the family had been left in human hands, if it was left up to Joseph's brothers or left up to Potiphar or Potiphar's wife or Pharaoh or even Joseph, then it is hard to imagine this story having a happy ending. But time after time, grudge after very understandable grudge, a stronger hand seems to prevent tragedy just in the nick of time so that the grudge never gets the final say. That, I believe, is the way we know that a different perspective, a heavenly perspective, is now calling the shots in Joseph's saga because only God could pull a happy ending out of the twisted emotional wreckage of this story. I don't think any of us need a modern story to understand the emotions of the grudges that are at work in Joseph's story. But in case any of us do, I would look to the story of Heather Heyer. This past Wednesday on August 12th, it's hard to believe, but we celebrated the third anniversary of Heather Heyer's death. You might recall that the 32-year-old woman was killed at a peaceful protest in Charlottesville, Virginia, when a known white supremacist named James Alex Fields gunned his Dodge Challenger into a defenseless crowd. He was a man who, despite his young age, had already come to nurse a variety of grudges grudges against people of other colors or ethnicities, grudges against people who practice other religions, grudges against people who have other political views, grudges against his government, other governments, you name it. And he, like many who had gathered with him, had come to Charlottesville in a spirit of anger, hate, venom, and vengeance. Now, I do not doubt that James Fields had experienced pain and heartache in his life, but it is pretty obvious that his life had become consumed by grudges. What happened to him and what happened to Heather Heyer 
and all that has happened over the past three years with the various grudges that have come to consume our life as a nation and a society, I think is pretty much what we can expect when our fate is left in human hands. But then, every now and then, something happens to remind us that there is a different perspective on things, a different power at work, a different arc that is working to bend our story in a new and more hopeful direction. At Heather Heyer's funeral, her father was invited up into the pulpit to share some memories of his daughter and to offer his own words of farewell. If anyone in this world has ever had a reason to hold and nurse a grudge, this man had it. But on that day, the grudge did not have the final say. Heather loved people, her father said. She wanted equality. And in that issue on the day of her passing, she wanted to put down hate. And for my part, we just need to stop all this stuff and just forgive each other. I think that's what the Lord would want us to do is stop and just love one another. It was, in my estimation, nothing short of a miracle that a grieving father standing over the body of his own daughter whose life had been taken over a stupid, evil, senseless grudge would have the ability to see let alone give voice to the heavenly power of forgiveness and hope and love. It was the same miracle that allowed Joseph, who after being tossed into a ditch, a pit in the desert, sold into slavery, wrongly imprisoned, and basically condemned for life, somehow survived it all, who, despite the odds, found himself in a position of great power at the exact moment when the ones who had caused him so much pain were at their most vulnerable, who, having had very good reason to hold and nurse a grudge, chose instead to be a vessel for the heavenly power of forgiveness and hope and love. His was a human story, but it did not have a human ending because our God does not hold grudges. Our God overcomes grudges. Our God is constantly at work to bend our stubborn, human, grudge-filled stories in a new direction. Up toward the light, up toward salvation, up toward a new and better way. The late historian Charles Flood, in his book on Robert E. Lee called The Last Years, 
shared a story from the later years of Lee's post-war civilian life. The former general had accepted an invitation to dinner from a wealthy Kentucky family who lived not far from his home in Lexington, Virginia. And before dinner, the matriarch of the family gave Lee a tour of the grounds, and it ended at the remains of a grand old tree that clearly had great sentimental value for this woman. Most of its branches were broken. It had very few leaves. It was so badly damaged, Lee thought, that it seemed a miracle that it was still alive. The woman began to cry as she described how the spreading canopy of this once great tree had been battered relentlessly by Union artillery during the war. And her tearful face grew red with anger as she recalled that scene. Lee knew what the woman was wanting from him. She wanted him to join in her grudge to sympathize with her plight, to rail with her against the injustice, and even to help her imagine the heaps of burning coals that should fall upon the heads of their common enemy. Instead, Lee just continued to survey the tree, and after a few moments, he gently turned to the woman, and he quietly said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. By the end of the book of Genesis, the family tree of Jacob, the father of Israel, has been stripped bare. Years of deception and betrayal and resentment had taken their toll, and now famine and desperation had brought the family to the brink of extinction. By some miracle, that family tree was still hanging on, barely alive. And by an even greater miracle, it would not meet its end there in the famine-stricken land of Egypt. Because a man named Joseph would somehow be given the strength and grace to lay down his grudge and choose a more heavenly path. My brothers, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, Joseph says through his tears. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and for your little ones. It's not hard for us to name the grudges that live in and around us. They are too numerous to count. And if it is left up to us, if we rely on our own power to end those grudges, it is hard to imagine a happy ending. So in hope and anticipation, 
let us pray for the heavenly power that saved Joseph. From the underside, let us look up and pray for the view from heaven's perspective. Let us pray that the grudges that can do us in might be cut down and forgotten, and that the trees that sustain us will be fed with living water from wells that never run dry. In other words, let us pray for that same miracle that saved the family of Israel. Pray that the door of heaven will be opened to us by the one who made this promise and keeps it still. Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Thanks be to God. Amen.